The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my guest host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. You know, John, uh, normally at this point in the show, I start asking like, hey, is it spring in Boston? But having talked to Patria last week, I know that you've got spring coming. What I ought to do is kind of introduce you to Pace Line listeners who are not already TCI readers. So, uh, I, I don't know, your life story in 30 seconds or less. Uh, sure. I'm like all of our readers of Lifetime Bike Guy, you know, born in the 70s, watched the BMX and 10-speed booms, just knew from go that the bike was the coolest thing possible. Um, you know, uh, went went awry in my late teens, like many of us, and then rediscovered the bike. Um, rediscovered the bike hardcore in my twenties, uh, and then cycled through all the phases: the the roadie phase, the mountain bike phase. You know, I also you know in the nineties got to sort of ride the first mountain bike boom. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely latched on to the. U.S. Postal Road fad or whatever that was. Um, yeah, just all the things. Got into gravel when Grand the Gettin was good. Uh, mm-hmm. Just in your garden variety cyclist and now middle-aged person with children who's just trying to make their way the best they know how. <laughs> was that 30 seconds? Well, uh, cl- close, you know, close enough. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, it might be fun at some point to do a show where you and I discuss our re-entry into cycling after our misbegotten in-between years. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, mine were pretty short in that I grew up in a, in a cycling unfriendly place. So... I was a cycling kid, but then in my teen years, I was like all about being able to drive places. Well, I mean, Uh, dates, right? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. It was really when I got to Boston uh, that it became, you know, a thousand percent clear that the bike was. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Remember the bike? It's now again, it's the best, best solution to every problem you have. (laughs) <laughs> oh very cool <clears throat> yeah yeah um it was funny rediscovering the bike yeah we'll save that for an, another time we'll do that another time yeah yeah um well <clears throat> oh, pardon me so you're a guest host this week which means you have a pull what are you pulling uh that's right um well you mentioned that it's spring in boston and i know you guys talked about it last week but it's it's really um, 
for people who don't live in New England, or maybe this is true in other cold weather climates as well, you can't really communicate what happens in spring yeah to the to the human population mm-hmm. right i mean the obvious metaphor is all the leaves are budding and the flowers are bursting from the ground and what makes that particularly funny in boston from a human point of view is that the same thing happens to all the pale crusty grouchy new englanders they you <laughs> yes. know they go from like honking their horns and and skulking around silently ignoring each other to like incandescent with joy mm-hmm. you know everyone is out and about all those people who um you know are in their houses saying well when the weather gets good i'm gonna get fit again they're all out on you know they're all out i love to see them um and Boston's a quite small city with a river through it. So, you know, instantly the river, uh, there's, there, you know, there's the Esplanade, there's a, there are trails down both the Cambridge and the Boston side of the river. And those, that'll just be packed with people. Mm. Um, and it's, it's nice. It's a, it's like, um, uh, a sort of impromptu spring parade, uh, <laughs> of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, it, rem- it reminds me of I used to commute that way. So I'm I've people who have read me over the years know that I've been a devout commuter. But um, you, the way Boston is set up, it's 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 much better than it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But it's not a bike friendly town uh, in its layout. You know, it's all cart paths. <laughs> Nothing is grid-like. Nothing is parallel or perpendicular. Everything's very narrow. Cars are parked everywhere. So it's a real minefield experience to ride here, although very fun. I don't want to say that it's not great, but it requires a certain level of confidence or stupidity, just depending. It's I, like I, going I off may- the high dive. Exactly. You have to dare. To dare is to do. Anyway, so... <laughs> But I, I've been hit by cars a couple times with non-catastrophic uh, outcomes. And uh, I just decided, you know what? I can do a big part of my commute on the river, which is a thing I never would have done because it wasn't the express route. Uh, I just maybe maybe it was maturity. <laughs> Probably not. But maybe it was maturity. I just said, I'm going to ride the river. From now on, it's the long way, but it's it's fine. It's a low stress, lower stress way to 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 ride your life. Um, So that's what I was doing. Anyway, I used to pass this guy on the river every day and he he, I think he lived in the city and worked outside and I lived just outside the city and worked inside. So we would pass each other every day and he was clearly very uh, buttoned up. As a cyclist, you know, his glasses were just so uh, his shoe sock combinations were always on point. Um, He was a a catalog photographer's dream, but I would (laughs) (laughs) he would go by me every day and I would say hello 
every day because that's what I do to the people that I see every day. I say I greet them and uh, he would not. He was (laughs) he was all the way in his zone. And, um, you know, in retrospect, maybe he was training. Maybe that maybe he was in the middle of a block or a zone or an interval or whatever it is serious people do. Mm So. But I would delight in in just saying hello to him every day and getting getting stonewalled. I really I got to enjoy it. And I think probably my greetings got more uh, flamboyant as we went along. But um, this is getting back to the topic of springtime. But I I passed him one spring day and it was probably 70 degrees out. Uh It was that like first day where the temperature spikes and and i'm in you know shorts and a t-shirt because i'm commuting or you know i'm just i'm i'm as i'm wearing as little as i can because i run warmer uh core temperature than most right humans and he um he came along wearing like full tights and a jacket and it, it was probably the weekend of roubaix okay okay just guessing because i said to him Hey, it's the spring classics. What's with the tights? And (laughs) which is a really high level of confrontation for a guy that you know is not going to speak to you. Jumping right into with the guy who's never spoken to you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe I figured I'm not going to get a hello, so I might as well ask a full down. Yeah, maybe I'll ask a full confrontational question. So he breaks character. All of a sudden, and he says, um, I haven't shaved yet. And then he's <laughs> I know that guy. Right. And I'm pretty sure like we were crossing over an intersection and I so I yelled it as he was approaching me from the other side. And so he told me I haven't shaved yet, kind of as we passed. And there's not really a way to like stop and have a conversation. Not that he had any intention of stopping, <laughs> but especially not in the intersection. Right. And, and then, you know, then you ask yourself, wow, he, he really, he felt I needed to know the very good reason that he was overdressed for the weather. And it was that he hadn't shaved yet. And <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, to work, And he hadn't. He didn't feel that his legs were either uh, aesthetically pleasing for cycling, being unshaven, or, and you pointed this out to me, uh, perhaps it just felt very bad from a, a, a hypersensitive, you know, when you shave your legs Tech for time. a long time, right? Yeah, yeah, so... I mean, the easy answer, yeah, is like, I can't be seen with hairy legs in this kit on this bike. Okay. That's certainly a thing. Yeah. It might not be a thing. Which is what I thought was hilarious. I laughed all the way to work. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 100% legit. Uh, And, you know, I have been that guy. There's probably a 75% chance that I am still that guy. Uh, Mm. Uh, but I haven't let the hair grow out on my legs enough lately to find out. <laughs> yeah. But on that score, so a few years back, uh, I went 
down to Morgan Hill to specialize to their wind tunnel, which is a wind tunnel. Right. Um, right. It's important to win yeah. all the time, by the way. Well, I mean, seriously, you know, it is a legit way to learn how to do that better. Uh, yeah. So I had this idea to kind of look at how just, you know, with minimal changes to the bike, but some changes to the bike, but mostly changes to kit and helmet and that sort of thing. What could you gain? Let's let's kind of compare kit and helmet and all that stuff to, say, bike. And so for a solid 90 days, maybe more, I think it might have been closer to five months, I let the hair grow out on my legs. Mm. It was the first time since the winter of 95, 96, my last winter in New England, that the hair had grown out more than like three weeks worth, mm. which enough is in its own right, bad enough. That, well, that just bespeaks a, a, a grooming routine far beyond anything I'm capable of. Let me just say that. I admire you, your consistency and... and Fridays. Yeah. Fridays. That's all I'm going right. to say. Okay. okay. <laughs> I may have said too much. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Friday today. Yep. I'm going to not do the visuals on it. Go on. You, go, you do you. Tell me more. Well, so the thing was, so for like, I think close to five months, I let the hair grow on my legs. Every opportunity I had to go out in leg warmers and knee warmers, I absolutely did because the feeling of the wind through the hair on my legs was overstimulation in a way that was actually distracting on the bike. It was mm. uncomfortable to me. I couldn't stand the feeling. Mm. And so there's a chance that there was this other thing going on with him that entirely justified that. But yeah, we're all going to look at it as if it's strictly a cosmetic thing. But uh, that's there are a whole lot of follicles on your legs. Yeah. Well, my experience, the thing, the re there are a few reasons I don't shave my legs. Uh, but the primary one is that I have uh, I have this I have this pretty funny situation where I can't grow a beard, but I have very hairy legs. <laughs> I don't really know what what genetic hand I got dealt that makes that the case. But I shaved part of one of my legs once <laughs> and the experience basically why in the process i confessed to several crimes i didn't commit because it was it was that level of and the idea of doing it regularly uh i just couldn't i couldn't manage and my wife um prefers i don't know why but prefers me cure suit um <laughs> so that's all that's all well and good. And and I should say, I am no one to judge other cyclists. I poked fun at this guy. If he's listening, he's not. He, he does not remember me. If he, I could not feature in a story that he tells, which is also pretty hilarious. Oh, Unless I he's bet like, he has told that story. I, I've got an Andrew Jackson that says he has told. It's like I couldn't I couldn't help myself. I turned around. I told him. I haven't shaved yet. I mean, 
Oh my God. It, you know, that's what spring means to me. He's told that story. I hope that he has, if he's, if he's out there, uh, for whatever reason, he is a cyclist. He could be a listener. Uh, if he's out there, I apologize for being such a jackass for, for so long. Um, but also, uh, very interesting that after so many courteous hellos, his breaking point, his breaking point was around leg shaving. There it is. It was as if, you know, it was as if just in invoking the classics, I had impugned his toughness. Maybe he didn't want to believe that he needed those tights. So he needed, uh, a reason, a reasonable explanation for wearing the tights. <laughs> and so he gave me leg shaving. And the irony of that is so rich and wonderful. But but if he's out there, I apologize. I apologize. Um, Your little footnote. He's a cyclist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that is how this story got started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh. sorry to everyone. All of you who <laughs> shave your legs and don't shave your legs, I apologize to you. Uh, the, the women, the men, all of you. Um, th and that was a story about springtime we just told. <laughs> There's a, a funny corollary to this, the inversion. I was uh, visiting the University of Miami, Miami, Florida, not the one in Ohio. That's uh, Miami University. Right. Uh, I was down there visiting, uh, winter time. Uh, I was hoping to transfer to the university of Miami, uh, for their music program, which is seriously badass. Uh, huh? and like if the temperature dropped below 72 degrees, everybody pulled out their members only jackets and leather jackets and Levi's right. jean jackets and whatever. Right. If it was 65 degrees, people had them zipped up. Yeah, uh, they would walk around with the sleeves pushed up if it was, you know, 73. But any excuse at all to get out your cool jacket, yeah. it was the funniest thing ever. I mean, like <laughs> I'm in shorts and a T-shirt and there are people with jeans and long sleeve shirts and jackets on. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, there's a there's a person. There is another character in the Boston Spring that is hilarious, which is. And most cyclists, I think, are like me in that they know what the weather is going to be tomorrow because they have looked it up today. And, and there's a likelihood that they know what the weather is going to do all week because uh -huh. because what we do is, you know, influenced, let's say, by the weather. In the spring in Boston, you see people on these 70 degree days still walking around with winter hats and down jackets on. Uh-huh. And I, I'm always bemused. I don't, I mean, if that were me, I would be, you know, in a sweat bath. I, okay. I run warm, right? I'm right. called the whole source of the robot nickname is me riding to work in, you know, ton, the tundral expanse of New England winter and having people say, don't you, don't you feel cold? And, and my brother actually said, um, robots don't feel cold. And that was, that was just what happened. But 
So I don't really feel cold, but I don't understand people that don't feel warm. And that's a whole phenomenon. Oh, well, yeah, you're you're talking about me. Yeah, I, cold, I, cold all the time. I, I can I can be cold in a sauna. Yeah. I can be warm. You know, for example, it, it was 40 this morning when I walked out the door in shorts and a windbreaker. Yeah. Very comfortable. Yeah. Uh, I, I will. I will grant that my last winter uh, in Northampton, I was to the point where I could wear a long sleeve shirt and a jacket and it was like 25 degrees and I was okay. Yeah. My first winter, 25 degrees, I'd have a t-shirt on, uh, some sort of button down shirt on a sweater and a jacket and I'd be shivering. Yeah. There's certainly an acclimatization. I'm not sure that's a word. Acclimatization. Yeah, I think that's the word. There's certainly that going on. But I think, um, you know, I grew up in Alabama where it's hot and humid and I always hated it always felt completely oppressed by heat and humidity. And I thought for the longest time that basically I had absorbed so much heat that (laughs) that when I moved to New England, I didn't even have a winter coat the first two years I was here. Um, I just assumed I had absorbed so much heat or was so relieved to get out of it. um, (laughs) I just broke that part of my brain. I don't know. You're welcoming the cold into your body. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not tougher. I'm not tougher than other people. I just, I need to own that. I'm not tougher than other people. (laughs) Right. My settings are just different. (laughs) Because you're a robot. Yes. Yeah. All righty. Okay. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick has had a coughing fit while we were away, uh, but he seems to be back in his right self now. Uh, what have you got for us this week? Well, so I got my first dose of the vaccine earlier this week. So I want to just take a moment to start by talking about what an incredible feeling of hope it left me with. Up until now, I'm going to suggest that my sense of hope has been what I'd call mm, entirely theoretical. It's like going on a date and wondering if you might marry that person. Could happen, but not exactly on the calendar. You know, I mean, you're dating because you want to have a partner, right? Well, I, 
I think there's plenty of men and women out there not dating to find partners, but we'll leave that for another episode. You go on with your analogy. Right, right. Yes, there is the whole casual thing, but I was always very, very bad at that. But this You're really, very serious. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, uh, moving right along. But actually sitting down in the chair and seeing the nurse pick up the vial with, with the vaccine and draw it into the syringe was one of those moments where my senses felt heightened. The sense of hope I felt after she finished giving me the injection really was remarkable. Like, I'm going to get out of jail soon. Something right. like that. It yeah, was yeah. it was an, an emotional experience that I flat out did not expect to have. Now, I'll even admit that <clears throat> I've had friends say they, like, teared up at it. Um, you know, and I, that wasn't my experience, but I get that now. It was, mm. it was wholly unexpected and has made me, well, very excited. And like, I can't wait for, you know, the next, at this point, two and a half weeks to go by. I mean, the thought of hugging people, holy crap. Speaking of springtime, this, I'll just go out and like, you know, be hugging total strangers. Yeah. In California, you can do that. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, maybe not anymore. Uh, so uh, this past weekend, I joined two friends uh, for two days of riding in Mendocino County. Uh, I drove up with my girlfriend, Valerie, who is an ultra runner. She offered to give us some support by meeting up with us once a day, you know, during the course of our ride. Each day was going to be about 80 miles and 8,000 feet of climbing. So... uh there aren't many opportunities on those roads to find support, uh, you right. know, like passing stores and whatnot. It's not easy. Um, but, uh, I worked out a scenario where she'd only have about a half hour to 45 minutes to wait for us each day. Regardless, I gave her a one hour window. And if we weren't to her by the time the hour was up, I told her she was free to be on her way. I just, I didn't like the idea of like making her wait around for us and, you know, twiddling thumbs and all of that. Right. Given who she is, I think she would have ignored that and she would have just hung out until we did show. She's with you. So patience is clearly one of her, her strong deck suits. of cards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the idea behind the ride was to recreate the two day Mendo hopper that Miguel at Hopper Adventures uh, put on back in 2018. Now, let me just say I was in significantly different condition in August of 2018. This is like middle, middle of the month. Yeah. Mid August. Uh, so it was a, it was about as a fit as I got that year as it was. I was among the last finishers both days, which told me that this was going to be really, really hard. Right. There wasn't a lot of flat, uh, actually barely. Uh, and the only flat there was, was like rolling into the town of Willits about a third of the way into our ride, uh, on the first day, Saturday. Uh, and like I said, each day was in the neighborhood of 80 miles and like 8,000 feet of climbing. And about 50% of that was on dirt. Yeah. Uh, 
mostly fire roads, some logging roads, and then um, a really crazy stretch of single track. Uh, so crazy good. No, just crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. uh, we, we, we covered uh, the, the full spectrum, uh, you might say, uh, yeah. between like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever, uh, up to and including, I'm going down that. Right. There's a, there's a, this is fascinating to me. There's this thing that happens in the cyclist's brain, or I shouldn't say that. It happens in my brain, where <laughs> if I'm riding a piece of single track and it begins to get more difficult, I assume, because this is how I parse the world, that there will be a linear progression. <laughs> that it, will, it will get harder by degrees. But of course, uh, there's this, there's a thing called catastrophe theory, which says <laughs> you may be at a steady state. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> things change radically. And that's, that's closer to a life experience. And it sounds like what you went through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in graduate school, I wrote a, a paper on Lewis Carroll and saltation. Uh, that the world is not gradual, does not change by degrees, to your point. You know, right. things happen, volcanoes, right. catastrophes. Um, yeah. And that other story, that linear progression story is a story we tell ourselves to, to help believe it's going to be OK. Right. Right. We, we yeah, it's a lie. We tell ourselves to reassure ourselves. Yeah. 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 And then you find these trails in Mendocino that are um, uh, what, what's that good v, v word? Vertiginous vertiginous yeah yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> so there's actually a feature up on tci about the full adventure so <laughs> what i'm telling now uh, my poll is not really even about this i'm sharing about it here because i just want to talk about what an undiscovered gem mendocino county is yeah. there are fire roads and logging roads there like nowhere else i've ever written which means if you're going to ride there, the first thing you have to do is really plan your route. Uh, you've got to have a GPS unit. You've got to have a GPX file. Having a map there, uh, a paper map to try to get you through those fire roads and logging roads, that would be uh, like George Carlin level funny. It's, <laughs> just, I, should, I, should, I should say that the touring cyclists that I know the, the endurance cyclists that I know would never have just one GPS unit either. They would have, they would have a backup unit. Um, I've never done that myself cause I'm not that clever, but it sounds like Mendocino is a good candidate. So my hydration pack, you know, has one of those little, uh, zippered pockets for glasses. Yeah. I may have had a GPS unit in there. An extra. Yeah, possibly running concurrent to the one that I was actually busy using on my bike. Possibly. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm star. I'm lost. Sorry. <laughs> that's not even a well, thing that's, anymore. That's the other thing. Like where I was for most of it, uh, there was there was no hope of any cell coverage whatsoever. Right. I mean, for the people who live in Western Sonoma County, what we call West County, uh, the hot ticket is to buy your cell service through Xfinity because they lease bandwidth from everyone else. So you're not limited to just T-Mobile or Verizon or AT&T or whatever. Mm. You've got access to the whole set. So if there's any signal at all, you're good. 
there was no signal at all. I mean, the funny right. thing was like coming over the top of a crest uh, late on the first day when we're still, I don't know, 20 miles out from uh, from the town of Fort Bragg. And all of a sudden, my GPS unit is just blaring with text messages that have come in because I've got my phone set oh, up to right. feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't read them. You just landed on Earth again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ma- Major Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, navigationally, it's so easy to get turned around there that it without like a GPX uh, file in a GPS unit, you could end up at the coast when you mean to be inland at the 101. Uh, right. Taking the wrong descent and being down on the wrong side of a ridge in Mendo would make for a very long day. Mm. Um, our high point elevation wise on day one was about 2,700 feet, and we finished at sea level. And, uh, <clears throat> that uh that descent into Fort Bragg was uh well it was not linear it wasn't anything <laughs> like that uh there were it is possible that I may have said this is our next to last climb or our last climb uh three to five times yeah <laughs> that's a hard day man yeah. I've done that yeah well you know you see the big bump. And then you zoom in on that just as you're getting over the top. And then you see that that little thing that was just like a slight jag before is now a much bigger bump than you thought. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I've been I've been all over the country. I've been to force on three continents, three continents. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, four. Uh, And Redwood Forest is unlike anything I've seen or experienced anywhere else because there's not much understory. And yet the trees do such an amazing job of blotting out the sun that you feel a little bit like you're inside a warehouse or something or a soundstage. Uh, Mm. You've got high ceilings, but it's not a lot of like what feels like natural light. Uh, And you can see for a hundred yards in any direction. Um, Mm. It's, yeah, it, it that much is a very different experience and really neat. Uh, sort of Tolkien-ish, fantasy-ish, you know, ready yeah. for something magic to happen. And then, like, when we got to the very top uh, of that climb, uh, Sherwood Road. Sherwood Road runs out of Willits to Fort Bragg. And about halfway there, they just gave up with paving it. They're like, screw it. We're done. That's right. enough. Nobody else is going to go to the rest of the way, which is a, it's not an unreasonable conclusion to draw. Uh, right. The, the road is weird getting to the point where they stop paving it after they stop paving it. It's like, well, yeah, I wouldn't bother with that either. Yeah. So, but you get to the very top and you start getting these breaks in the trees so that you can see out and you can see two, three, four ridge lines into the distance and the ocean air coming in, carrying all that moisture, each of those greens for each of the successive ridge lines gets ever so slightly more gray. And now in Sonoma County, I can go all over the place and look around and the redwood forest is broken when you're near the core, uh, when you're near the coast, you know, you'll see little meadows and pastures and whatnot. 
in Mendocino County, that's all there is. That's all you see. When you get a break in the trees, you just see more trees. It's incredible. Uh, so, so it sounds like you've had you had you've had quite an emotional run. You had your vaccine, yeah, uh, and the hope of that, and then you had this transcendent, yeah, Mendo experience. Yeah, and and I was in the company of three absolutely remarkable people. Uh, you know, one I've kind of gone all in on, but uh, the other two people I'm I'm super super fond of. Uh, the guy who cooked all this up, my friend, Eric, uh, he's the one who first started peppering me with suggestions of Japan. And so he's one of the characters, uh, in my story, 88 temples that ran in bicycling. Um, and so Eric is somebody who I can talk to that guy all day. Uh, his brain never, ever stops. Uh, and so having him out there, uh, like that, you know, and we're constantly, you know, we're thinking about not just, oh, how great this road is, but like, you know, the meaning of life. Uh, yeah. It was it was a fully immersive experience, I guess you could say. Yeah. You know? But seriously. For people who have never gotten to that part of Northern California. It you need a bucket. And it needs to be in the bucket or on the list of the bucket or whatever. Right. Yeah. Because coastal redwood forest, there's not a lot of it in the world. Right. Um, And I mean, unless you've been to Humboldt County or Del Norte County, uh, Mendocino, I I suppose some of Southern Oregon, sure. But Mendocino is the only other place where you're going to see this stuff. And it's one of those things people ought to see and experience at some point in their lives. And I can also say that in Jackson Demo Forest, uh, the mountain biking is even better than the gravel riding. Mm. Yeah. Well, everyone should get vaccinated so we can Move travel around. a yeah. little again. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's, yeah, that's a lovely thing. Uh, more and more, my Facebook feed is like people with selfies of, you know, band-aids on arms or, you know, some <laughs> nurse holding a syringe and they're smiling. My kids never smile when they see a syringe. No. <laughs> yeah. At least they don't cry anymore. Um, I think. Uh, how about pace line picks? What do you say? Move on to pace line picks. Sure. Sure. What do you have for your first one? Well, I, I really was just thinking about, you know, the riding I've been doing lately and what, um, what I'm sort of excited about. I got a new gravel bike. Um, I got a new gravel bike last spring. I I broke my collarbone last year. There's a whole story there, but, um, we'll save that for another day. But so I got this gravel bike and, so I'm going to open up a whole can of worms here, probably. But I want to talk about the Shimano GRX Di2 one by drive train that I I put on this bike. Mm-hmm. Um, people who read me will know that I'm not an early adopter of technologies. Um, <laughs> I've, I've worked in the bike industry for a good stretch and I'm often skeptical of the things that come out. Uh, you know, I know that they're different, but are they better? 
right? So I'm always thinking, do I need it? Is it better? Does it enhance the experience? Is this real? And to be fair to all of the engineers and marketeers, my fellow marketeers in the industry, I'll say they are by and large right. And I am (laughs) normally, I catch up with them eventually. So the thing that I'll say about, you know, I want to say two things about electronic shifting. One, um, it is still expensive. You know, the price of disc brakes has has sort of come back to market. Uh, There are accessible options at all the price points. Electronic shifting is still relatively expensive. So I'm always leery of advocating for a product with a price tag. Um, But setting that aside, I'll say that um, the need I feel for it or the 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 differential in what it brings me uh, on a gravel bike or on a mountain bike is so much bigger like on a road bike I I pretty much anticipate most of my shifts on a road bike so running mechanical shifting versus electronic is you know there's a, a a small delta of convenience and ease of use but but it doesn't it's not a game changer but on a trail um, electronic shifting really is a game changer. And I don't want to just say Shimano's product, you know, SRAM access also, uh, kind of gives you that same thing because here in new England are, we had that ice age. Um, many people will remember it. Uh, <laughs> and it, what it means is that we have pretty technical, uh, trails. We have sandy soil. We have a lot of loose rock, um, all of the New England trail riding that isn't sort of built trails is what I call low flow. <laughs> so <laughs> any any turn you think you're going to rail or uh, there's a there's going to be a tree on the exit, any any natural jump you might find off a rock is going to land you in a in a rock garden. You know, like there's just no runouts, no whatever. I love it, but it is, you know, it's not the the modern jump line uh red bull fantasy that a lot of mountain biking thinks about it's yeah it's not like you know utah where you and a shovel can create a whole trail in you know 45 minutes uh you and a shovel might move one of the smaller rocks right yeah new england is not i mean i imagine a lot of trail builders get to a site in new england and think oh crap (laughs) you know yeah, I would just pack up and leave. I, I here's a good illustration. And many people don't understand that the, the stone in the ground in New England moves. Right? Yes. Every so, year. Every year. And so there are these great classic photos of like Vermont farmers who have cleared a field to grow a crop uh, and grown a season of crop. And then. The snow fell, and when the snow melted, the field was full of stones again. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Can you think of the heartbreak? Anyway, so so well, uh, how that relates to electronic shifting, and the other the other bit is that we have a lot of short, short, sharp climbs, a lot of like steep little, you know, bang through them efforts, and electronic shifting, the accuracy and speed of it just makes that so much more fun. You know, you're just so much better able to stay on top of the right gear. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I, I also think the one by drivetrain, which 
He's certainly limited in gear inches, um, but as we're not doing so many long, steady climbs, um, you know, what you pay on that side, you really gain again in that simplicity. There are people who would say, oh, and also it's lighter. I don't really care that it's lighter. Um, you know, weight for the type of riding I do isn't isn't an issue. Uh, if you're talking in pounds, okay, I can get behind that, but I'm not the 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 weight of a chain ring isn't really affecting my success out on the trail. <laughs> but that drivetrain on that bike, and it's a magical bike as well. Some people uh, will have seen it on the site, but that drivetrain is just made my weekly uh, gravel rides with my friends so much more fun. Uh, and you know, my solo efforts as well. It's just like simple and precise and wow. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that a lot of people are going to jump into comments and just flame me because, because I'm absolutely wrong about this, uh, that, you know, you have to have a two by and you have to have all these, I want to hear that stuff. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking, I can't believe this guy is saying, definitely light me up. I'd like it. <laughs> but that's my pick. G- GRX DI2 one by. Yeah. I mean, I'd want, it, it, if I wasn't so ready to leave it to the readers to do, I would go ahead and light you up myself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because two by man. Front yeah. derailers well, are awesome. Yeah, they are. Two derailers are awesome. And where you live and, you know, obviously these things are geography dependent. Right. Uh, And in another geography, I would make a different choice. Yeah. If I was still in Memphis. Yep. Yep. uh, Yep. All my front derailers would go away. Uh, So my pick is a little feature in Strava, in the app on Strava. I haven't bothered to find if it's uh, on the desktop version. Uh, It's something I suspect many people don't know about unless they are among those curious types who really dig around inside apps looking for undiscovered features. I'm not that person, except when I wake up at like two o'clock in the morning and find I'm not going back to sleep for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, Under the training tab in the app, which is the rightmost at the bottom, if you scroll past goals, something I am utterly unfamiliar with, yeah, I would scroll. I would scroll past that very yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't set those. Uh, then there's monthly activities. Uh, then the training log. How monthly activities varies from training log? I don't know because I haven't tapped them. Uh, and then there's weekly intensity. Below that one, there's a monthly fitness feature. You can compare your fitness for up to two years into the past. Given how many of us haven't been lining up for events, pinning on numbers, that sort of thing, I suspect that many people, like me, have experienced, we'll call it some erosion in their form. So when I first looked at this uh, a bit more than a month ago, uh, when I first found it, it told me that (laughs) relative to two years ago, I'd experienced a nearly 40% 40% drop in overall fitness. I, I, w- I had been meaning to say something to you. <laughs> Even on our video calls, I think, man, his form is dipping. <laughs> um, 
I mean, seriously, I felt like I'd been hit in the head with a baseball bat. That bad? That bad. Yeah. Almost 40%. That bad. Yeah. yeah. I'll just point out right now that you're you're recommending this feature to listeners, anticipating that the news is bad. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the good news is that I've been logging base miles. And, you know, given the weekend that I just threw myself at, I am seeing it turn around. Okay. I've, I've yeah. got, I've got good news ahead of me, but I, to your point, I have to grant if you're prone to what we'll call an existential on we, uh, I, yeah, I'll grant that, you know, maybe you should hold off on taking a look at this until maybe on into the summer, uh, right. at least late spring. When the trend arrow is pointing the right direction. When you've got some level, you know, it's yeah. so many of us don't get back on the scale until we think we've already started losing weight because we never yep. wanted to see that worst number. This right. is probably not a lot different from that. Uh, yeah. But I'm somebody who I don't do monthly FTP tests. I mean, I have everything necessary to do it, but yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what my FTP is right now. Right. Um, but. I will say that um, as a means of long-term fitness compares, um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Maybe a little depressing, but it is fascinating. I'm, you know me, I'm, I'm a bit of a data phobe. Yes. uh, (laughs) That's a fair term. Yeah. I feel like whatever I find, I do find it like you, I find it fascinating, Mm -hmm. but. I also, I don't know, like there's something uh, chemical in my brain that's like, oh, I can change that. I can change that data. And then <laughs> and then I find that I'm riding the data rather than the bike. Um, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. everyone has that issue or not everyone cares. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> maybe I don't need to be told that I'm worse than I used to be. <laughs> Well, I mean, in my case, you know, broadly speaking, it's a given, Mm. you know, it's like that line from Fight Club, you know, on a timeline long enough, everyone's survival rate goes to zero. Right. You know, Uh, prior to that, your fitness rate will also go to something like zero. Right. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, And I mean, it's funny because I was one of those uh, data gathering fools. I mean, I remember using a stationary trainer and a heart rate monitor with a memory feature. This was before you could download stuff, you know, we're talking the 1990s. And I was doing Conconi tests because you couldn't do an FTP test. Nobody really knew what that was back then. That that term hadn't been invented. I don't I'm not that guy. Not anymore. Nor do I want to revisit uh, his address. We are we are cyclists of a certain age. It should be it should be said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote a, a piece um, recently for a, um, it was actually about running, but the title of the piece was the old family truckster remembers its new car smell. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the point was, and this is the problem with the data I gather now. I know what my data was when I was <laughs> when I was a young robot. <laughs> I know how quick and sharp uh, I was then. And, you know, I was never just to just to keep it real. I was never any great shakes, but 
it was a lot better than it is now. So I think that might be part of my my data phobia. Um, mm. So it's yeah. all ego. Well, yeah, I'm not going to argue that point either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so there's this neat little feature in Strava. Uh, you may or may not want to look at it right away. Right. The things <laughs> you find in the middle of the night. I like it. Yeah. That's probably a whole feature unto itself. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Um, next week, uh, I'm going to have the return of the pace line tandem. The first one of those episodes in quite some time. I've got an interview with Alan Lim of scratch labs, and we spend most of that time talking about their, what I'd like to call new drink mix, uh, super fuel. But it was introduced last summer. Uh, and I'm That's just the not... new, new. <laughs> yeah. That's the new, new. <laughs> Things that happened in 2020 can still be new. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm only now catching on to the product. Uh, but anyway, knowing Alan and knowing his bent, I had to get on the phone with him and talk to him about the introduction of that product. Here's a little quip from it. Here I am looking at this email saying, you know, we, we've got super fuel, everything you need yeah. in a bottle. And I'm like, wait a second, yeah. not this guy, any other guy, not this <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. So uh, now I've read up on it, but, you know, for our listeners on the pace line, you know, just walk us through uh, how it got started and what makes this particular dextrin uh, different yeah. from other dextrins. Uh, there was still a lot of com complaint or requests for a liquid carbohydrate from us. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I couldn't build it with Malto because it just wouldn't work. But, you know, as most things happen in both science and, and in the world, there are innovations. And there were some big innovations um, uh, with a company in Japan who started making this highly branched cyclic dextrin. So, yeah, next week, uh, an interview with Alan Lim of Scratch Labs. And uh, after that, we will be, we will be back with uh, another guest host, uh, Kush, uh, Mike Cushenberry. Alrighty. Everybody, keep those questions coming. Uh, we haven't been getting anything lately, but I'm sure we'll get back to it soon. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Robot Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.